Hello, my name is David Lee and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. Experts from Brodies operate in many areas of the law every day and their clients ask a very wide range of questions during their time working with the lawyers, whether they're navigating new or more familiar situations together. In each episode of our series, What Do I Do If?, Brody's experts from different fields explain how they help clients when faced with some of those different and often difficult questions. The latest series of episodes features Brody's personal and family team, and today we're looking at the question, what do I do if I want a good divorce? To discuss this holy grail of marital breakdown, I'm joined by Susie Mountain, a partner, solicitor advocate and experienced family lawyer with Brody's, and by Jenny Sutton a divorce coach with Untying the Knot. Welcome to you both. And Jenny, if I can start with you, when we talk about a good divorce, what does that mean to you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? A good divorce. A good divorce is about having the end in mind, I think. And it's about controlling the narrative, the narrative of the story. So each each client that I have have a different starting point and the end may be different, and it's the transition through a good divorce. So can I give you uh, three scenarios just to demonstrate this? Okay, so just for consistency, we've got three females, all in their 50s, and all gone through a level of betrayal. And the first client, she comes and sees me. She's in her second marriage. She's absolutely raging. She's taken all her husband's belongings and she's stuffed them in black bin liners and she's dumped them at the end of the drive. And basically, she wants her husband to jog on, okay, and have a quick divorce. The second client, absolutely overwhelmed with emotion, crying all the time, uncertain of the future, giving up her career to be a homemaker, and just trying to navigate through the emotions. And the last client is absolutely thankful. Thankful that her husband has been betraying her because she sees it as an opportunity for freedom. No more compromise. And she just wants some assistance in how to tell her adult children. So you see those three scenarios all start with a different point. And yet the transition through to the end is to have a good divorce, to have that opportunity of being um, on the same page in some shape or form. And it's about an attitude and having the right approach to get to the end. So I think that's what a good divorce is, the end result as opposed to the starting blocks. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much, Jenny. Susie, anything to add to that from your experience? Yeah, I think what Jenny says is very um, sensible, actually, that it is about keeping the end in mind. People do come when they first separated. And it's not a situation that anybody goes into a marriage hoping that they'll end up in. But sadly, it does happen. Um, Divorce rates are really high. So a good divorce, from my point of view, is where matters are resolved as fairly and amicably as possible. We ideally want to avoid the bin liner scenario, although that does happen. Um, But what you hope to get to by the end of the process is to have an outcome that both parties can live with and where they have come out of it feeling that there can be some kind of channel of communication with their 
spouse. That's the ideal. It can't always happen. But particularly where there are children, it is really important to try to have those channels. Even where there aren't children, it can be very difficult for extended families to have to cope with the separation of the parties. In an ideal world, you want to be able to walk down the street and say hi to each other. There's always going to be issues about mail redirection and you've left some special belonging behind or you're going to stand next to each other at sports day. And if both of you feel that you've managed to go through the process coming out of it with something that you can live with and with being able to keep some common ground between you, then that, I think, is the key to having a good divorce. Okay, thanks very much, Susie. And when you outline those scenarios, Jenny, to begin with, we're talking about a lot of raw emotion there, whether it's that whether it's the rage of dumping the bin liners, whether it's the whether it's the tears, you know, there's a lot of raw emotion there. And how do you start to tackle those negative emotions and try and get to that point where there can be some kind of amicable uh, agreement to divorce? Because very often things are so raw, it's really, really tough. It is. It is. And I want to say it's perfectly normal to feel those emotions. Divorce is the second most traumatic life experience next to the death of a loved one, and both of which are part of a grieving cycle. So when we're talking about raw emotions, we're talking about things like anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and then eventually acceptance, which is where both Susie and I are thinking about having the end in mind. So how to deal with that is about dealing with the here and now, which you know, where the clients are at. So it's about looking through the lens of uh, the divorce. And I tend to think about it as stop. Stop using the mnemonic is, you know, they might feel stuck. They might feel tearful, a sense of overwhelm. Where do I start? How do I manage this? I've never been divorced before. To pain, actually physical pain, which our body actually contains. So, So it's about analysing where the client is at on the grief cycle, as mentioned, and the type of raw emotions that there are, and dialing it down so with tools and strategies to help them shift their focus to move further on in this transition, because that's what a divorce process is. It's a transition from being married to being free or separated or having a a different life totally. So it's about recognizing where the individual is, acknowledging their emotions, which are perfectly normal, and shifting their focus so that they can move forward. Okay. And what are the biggest challenges in doing that, Jenny? It sounds, you know, there's a structure there. You're talking about using tools and strategies, but it's a it's a tough process. What are the biggest challenges in that in that path to trying to achieve a good divorce? The biggest challenge is well, it is the emotion, to be honest, because a lot of the emotion is about past. It's about how we used to be. It's about the marriage, the good stuff. And yes, you know, when you get married, you get married to be together. Nobody thinks, you know, further down the line that you're going to get married only to get divorced. But equally, if you look at divorce and marriage, you know, days gone by, it was considered frowned upon to be divorced. But you would never buy a pair of shoes and wear them day in, day out for 30 years. 
And equally, there's this expectation in the past that we would be married for a, an awful long time. And, and, you know, that is not necessarily the status quo because we are living longer. So the biggest challenge is the emotions, but also some of the red flags because there's more and more um, breakups that are being um, in, the, in the focus of domestic abuse, which is really sad to see. And yet it is quite common, particularly after the pandemic, I have to say. So domestic abuse isn't necessarily violence. It's coercion. It's gaslighting. It is uh, financial abuse. It's control. And that's more and more evident as we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. And, and as a uh, dual accredited with the DASH charity, which is Domestic Abuse Stops Here, my role is to raise the red flags to help those individuals acknowledge the type of marriage that they've had because they've just, they've just gone through their marriage and stayed in their marriage thinking this is the norm. And it is not the norm and it is not their fault walking on eggshells, constantly being compromised and their boundaries and self-esteem and self-respect are completely on the floor. So this all packs into the emotion aspect that I've mentioned before. That is the, that is the challenge. And it's like teasing out. It's like having a ball of wool that's in a knot and you're pulling a thread to find the, the end and you're pulling another thread to find that end. And so hopefully unraveling the whole scenario of the marriage so that those individuals can see what it is in a distance, at a distance and move forward. And Susie, from your perspective, um, when you see um, former partners or partners wanting to divorce in entrenched positions, how do you help get them out of that? What's your role in trying to get people out of those entrenched positions and stopping them seeing the ex-partner as the other side uh, type approach? Yeah, it can be very difficult for people. And I think one thing that's quite important to remember is that it's not often that two people mutually at exactly the same time decide that they're going to end their marriage. So one person psychologically will be further ahead in the process of thinking about a separation than the other. So there can sometimes just be a case of giving the other person time to catch up emotionally so that they are in a proper place to deal with it. The other thing to do to avoid parties becoming too positional is to see what common ground there is. There is always going to be some common ground, even if it's a case of we both want to come out of this with the children being happy. We're both going to need a place to live and recognising that you've actually both got fairly similar goals in some ways. So then you can concentrate on which areas actually are in a dispute. And it's often not many. Um, it's just sometimes hard to see the wood for the trees when you think that that person is the other side that out to get you. I think that reminding clients that the person on the other side of the case a lot of aggression actually comes from a place of defensiveness, that they'll be as worried about what their own future is going to look like as you are about yours can really help. But what we talk about a lot in the training we undergo is about going to an interest-based thinking rather than from positional thinking. So one person might come in and say to you, well, I absolutely must keep this house. And it might become clear throughout the process that that's going to be really difficult for them to achieve and actually manage to fund. So if you look beneath that and find out, well, what is it about this house? Why is it so important? Does it have to be that property? And what you might end up finding out that it's actually more to do with 
keeping a house in the children's catchment area or some particular feature of that house that they might be able to get somewhere else. So getting beneath it to try to open up options and see if you can generate other thinking. Okay, and what do you think is the ideal relationship, Susie, between solicitor and client in trying to achieve a good divorce? I mean, from what you've just said there, sometimes it's about taking a bit of time, you know, understanding that it might not be the right time to address certain issues, moving from fixed positions to what's in our best interest and so on. You know, what's the, what's the ideal? I know that there are human emotions involved here. Nothing's perfect. But what's the ideal relationship between solicitor and client? The ideal relationship is to be able to have as much communication as possible. So it's very important to open that up. It would be very easy to go through an initial meeting with a client and just fire information at them and they go away and completely mind boggled. And I think that's really common for clients in in a first meeting because they've got so much that they want to find out. They want to get to the end as quickly as possible. They've got all this information rattling around in their brains. But actually to take time to get beneath what it is that they're saying as in I must keep that house and actually get to get under that and find out what is really important to them in resolving this and what outcome are they looking for and are they open to achieving that in more than one different way. But there absolutely has to be mutual trust between solicitor and client. There absolutely has to be good communication all the time. We can't always tell clients exactly what they want to hear, but that's inevitably going to be more acceptable if they know that you're really on their side and and we are that's our job is to protect our client's position by doing the best we can for them and by exploring as many options as possible and in your experience again Susie what's um, the role of a divorce coach and how can they best complement the solicitor's role in in this process yeah I think divorce coaches can be extremely helpful because there is so much emotion around this And it can assist clients if they have somebody who isn't their family, who isn't their lawyer, who isn't their pal, because people get awfully worried that they're burdening family and friends with all of this. They don't want to keep going back there. There's no point paying a lawyer to do all of this for you. Yes, of course, we'll support our clients through everything, but it's helpful for them to have somebody else that they can help to get them to an emotional place where they are then ready to deal with the legal side of things. Okay. And Jenny, how common is it for divorcing couples to use a coach and What are the main reasons why they might choose to go down that path? Well, a divorce coach is a relatively new uh, member to the party, so to speak. So we haven't been around um, that often. And I think, I think the benefit is because having, having majority of divorce coaches have gone through divorce themselves. I certainly have after a 30 year marriage. And I think you bring that actual experience to the table and you assist the individual to look at the emotions, to deal with strategies of how to have a communication with their ex in a in a in a position that they are comfortable with, which may be, you know, setting up an individual email or only dealing with the emails when they feel grounded and ready. Or um negotiating pickup points at the school gates. All of this is about building resilience. So it's about practical applications in the day-to-day transition of the divorce process. And I think, you know, as much as Susie's saying we will support our clients, their their role is the legal. To ask a lawyer, I need emotional support here, is not 
really their remit and it's costing an awful lot of money. Whereas a divorce coach is more resourceful, has time, builds up that relationship and it actually provides even an SOS type of service where people out of hours can get the support when they want it at a price and time that is appropriate for them and their budget. So you feel, Jenny, that there are very, very complementary and very different roles here between the solicitor and the divorce coach? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you look at the divorce process, it's a transition. It's emotional and it's legal. And you have to have a holistic approach to deal with that. So I think it's really about a blend. And the blend helps with the three C's. Clarity, so helping with decision making. I'll give you an example. When I when I got divorced, my clarity in my decision making was on on the floor. I looked. I wanted to buy some tea towels, and I looked at the array of tea towels, and I couldn't make a decision. It's just so simple, and yet because you've become stuck in your decision making and your trust in yourself is at such a low level, you need to sort of build your confidence, which is another C, and take control. So you can create a future that is owned by you and for you. So it is about using divorce coach with your lawyer in a complementary fashion to help with the transition to transformation. Okay, and and thank you. And Susie, every divorce is going to be different, but is there such a thing as a, a typical timescale for a divorce? And is it always the fact that clients want it to be quicker? They want it to be over more quickly than it often is? I think it probably is true to say that a client comes in and they just want it done as fast as possible in most cases. But the important thing that we have to emphasise is that it's something that you need to get right. You know, there's no point in rushing it and coming out with an outcome that you're going to look back and regret five, ten years down the line, whatever it is. You've really got one shot to get it right. So it's important to take time over it and gather the information. It's really a sort of three-stage process for us. We need to identify what the matrimonial property is. Then we need to and gather information about that property and have it all valued. And then we look at fair ways to divide it up. That's in terms of the finances. But the, these things can take time. So a lot of people just say, well, I just won't worry about my pension valuation. I don't care. That's going to take too long. And it can make an absolutely huge financial difference. And it's just encouraging people that, yes, I understand the frustration, but it's really key that you you really think about this and you get it right because you can't come back later and say, I wish I hadn't done that. So I do think people listen to their friends or my friend got divorced in a week and why can't I be divorced in a week? And some cases are just more complex than others. Some spouses are more difficult to deal with than others. There can be all kinds of reasons why one person's divorce may take longer. So it's really, really hard. It is a case of how long is a piece of string. And all that we can really promise our clients is that we will be as efficient as possible with it and keep them updated. I think as long as clients know where it's heading and understand why things are happening then they'll tend to accept that but yeah absolutely if we could do them all in 24 hours I'm sure everybody would be a lot happier and very occasionally Susie we see celebrity divorce cases on on the news in the in the high court in London or or in uh, the court session Edinburgh wherever but what are the other um, alternative dispute resolution methods that are that can be used in a divorce and uh, how, how common are they all? Yeah, there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat. So as you've referred to the court, that's really one end of the spectrum. And 
We would never encourage clients to go to court unless it was absolutely necessary. So generally, if you've got one person who is being extremely awkward or they're adopting an ostrich approach, or even if there's just one issue in a case and the parties just cannot agree and you need a third party to come in and make a determination about that, then fine. But it is expensive. It is very stressful for people. So it certainly wouldn't be our first port of call. A lot of clients just resolve things by way of sort of traditional negotiation, so letters or emails going back and forth between solicitors. Um, But as part of that, we would always try and involve phone calls to the the other side. I shouldn't call them the other side, but phone calls to the solicitor um, acting for the other spouse. Or you can have joint meetings as part of that process. And sometimes that can really help to cut through. I think there can be a real resistance to receiving correspondence from another solicitor. It doesn't matter how well you try to phrase your letter. It can still be amazing how one word that you've used in that letter can really get up the back of the other spouse. So cutting through that is important. Other methods that can be used, we've got collaborative practice that's becoming increasingly common in Scotland. And that's when you have the two spouses and each of their respective solicitors. And they deal with things by way of a series of meetings with all four of those people present at each meeting. It's a very transparent process. And in fact, the parties have to sign up at the start of the process to state that they will be very open and honest. They will make a full disclosure of any financial positions. And that if the if the collaborative procedure doesn't work out for whatever reason, they will not be able to go to court with those solicitors. So it's really about trying to encourage everybody to reach an end goal. It's really good whether there are children involved or where parties have to keep communicating beyond divorce. Mediation is another option where you have one mediator and you've got the two parties. The mediator isn't there to give advice, specific advice to either of those parties, but they're there to facilitate discussion. And that can work really well where there is good trust and good communication between the parties and they can really help them to generate a lot of options. So it could be very good. Sometimes the right answer is not the immediately obvious one and a mediator can help to facilitate that discussion. Uh, The other thing that can be used is arbitration. I have to say not that common in Scotland at the moment, but it's where you appoint basically a private judge. So if there's an issue in your case um, that parties cannot agree upon, then instead of going through the sort of public court, then you would appoint a specialist in family law to make a decision on that issue. And there are advantages to that because it could be done in private. It can be done at times of your choosing. Um, So it, it does differ quite markedly from the court process. And I do think that as time goes on, that might start to become more popular. Okay, um, a lot, a lot of options there. And when we talk about the legal side, uh, the there has been the TV drama, uh, the split, uh, which many people uh, will have watched. Um, following the fortunes of a family of female divorce lawyers, I, I've watched it. I've watched uh, every episode, uh, and that touched on the idea of uh, a good divorce in its final season. Um, Nicola Walker's character Hannah and uh, Stephen Mangan's character Nathan uh, had what appeared to be a good divorce, which they discussed rather bizarrely uh, on um, Hannah's mother's podcast uh, called The Lovecast, uh, the, by, run by Ruth, the matriarch of the family. And she asked them about the secret of a good divorce. And we had this this powerful kind of monologue and then again slightly bizarrely Nicola Walker looking knowingly into the camera at the end of the last episode but um Susie how do you think the split handled it all you know did they handle the idea of a good divorce well albeit with a bit of um you know London City glamour kind of doused on the top yes a wee bit of London City glamour but I think it's actually really good that 
media is starting to really look at the idea of a, of a good divorce now. My nine-year-old son said to me, oh, all people that get divorced hate each other. And I said, no, that's absolutely not the case. Where did you hear that? And he said, oh, I heard it on YouTube. So I maybe need to monitor what he's watching more closely. But there is still that perception that you have to come out of it with your spouse's face on an artboard by the end of it. And that absolutely isn't where we need to end up. So I think it's good that the split has tackled this. I think it was quite realistic insofar as some of the bumps in the road that they had um, with a new partner coming on the scene and that kind of threw everything off for a while. Um, and the fact that when there was a very aggressive lawyer on board, that that actually didn't help. All that does is inflame things. And it didn't actually help the characters to achieve a resolution. And it was only when they got their communication back on track. And of course, they had the benefit of being lawyers and they already had the knowledge that they needed to have a proper discussion about it. But the more communication there can be, the more chance you have of resolving it. So no, I think it did a, a good job of representing the sort of stages that you might go through in a divorce process. Would you agree with that, Jenny? Yes, I would. I I certainly think it's important that you choose your lawyer appropriately. But you have to, when you're choosing your lawyer, you have to think about your budget, the type of um, divorce that you want. I mean, in my, my day when I was growing up, it was Kramer versus Kramer. And, it, and that was very challenging. And it doesn't have to be that way. And particularly if you've got children, you are a role model to your children. And if they see you constantly um, in conflict, what is that saying? You know, so you can have a good divorce. And and with Hannah and Nathan, if you if you think about it, they went through all of that scenario, but in the end, they both accepted each other's point of view and the and the conclusion, you know, that you have to move on and you can only control the bit in your life that you can control. You don't have to necessarily accept your partner's new partner, but you just have to accept where you are and what you can do. And it's your life and just move forward in a positive way for the benefit of everybody and leave conflict aside. And what's your role then, Jenny, in helping that move forward, um, you know, after the divorce? Well, it's about looking at life lessons. I mean, obviously, when you've been married for a number of years, you have had positives and it's about celebrating those positives, you know, children, career, achievements. And, you know, the other partner has been there. So celebrate it and look at how you can build on creating an exciting opportunity for yourself create a compelling vision for yourself, your new sense of freedom, which is being uh, an opportunity to reclaim who you are, your identity, what your purpose is in life, making a difference, having more energy, excitement, growing as an individual, taking those lessons, as I say, and look at creating something where it's your values are uh, fulfilled. Because often, when we've married, our values are constantly compromised. And now the ball is in your court. It's your, it's your opportunity to really embrace the future that is so much in front of you and be true to your core. Okay, thank you very much, Jenny. And Susie, a last word to you. What's your advice to clients on moving forward? And we've talked about a good divorce today, but how often... 
is that the case do you think you know when when both parties emerge with what they genuinely feel is a good divorce i think it's becoming increasingly common for parties to feel maybe not happy i don't think it's right to say that at the end of at the end of a divorce that somebody is happy because i think they they just often wish that they hadn't had to go through the process it's something that that they wish hadn't happened in their lives but content and content to move forward with what they've got I think then we know we've got them to a good place with things and I think that that is quite a common experience um, I think it is rare to come out with two people absolutely hating each other because that does then attract a lot of negative emotion which is difficult for people to deal with but I think everything Jenny said about focusing on the future moving forward is so important um, you know, even if there aren't children, of course, that's important. But I did see a really good thing on Instagram at the weekend when I was thinking about this podcast and Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Philippe were there and they were divorced several years ago and they had a graduation for their son. They both attended the pool party with their respective partners. And I think that if you can do those kinds of things for your family and it's just a restructuring of your family, um, then that I think is great. That's exactly the kind of outcomes that we would hope families can have. Thank you very much indeed, Susie, and thank you to Jenny for your great insights uh, into a good divorce today. Um, you've been listening to Podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about issues and developments having a big impact on the legal sector and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals across the economy and society of the UK. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all your favourite podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com. Mm-hmm.